following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church at Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. World changers. I want to reignite our passion to make a, to make a difference in this world. As Christians, we were not called to just a ho-hum, complacent kind of faith. We're called to a faith that is earth-shattering, that is world-transforming. And so we want to look at some people throughout the Bible that were world-changers. And we're beginning that today. Before we go any further, though, let me pray. God, thanks for this message. Thanks for the chance to be able to speak your word to these people, Lord. I pray that you would begin to speak it with specificity into each and every one of our situations, God, and that you would encourage us and lift us up to be the people that you have called us to be. In your precious name we pray, amen. So God has called us to greater things. In John 14, 12, Jesus said, Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things, greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. You know, so much of our life, we've been called to greater things, but so much of our life doesn't necessarily always look like greater things. Um, But God has called us to greater things. One of the deepest needs as a pastor that I found that people have is for meaning. One of the deepest needs people have is for meaning in their life. You look at the Purpose Driven Life, a book written by Rick Warren, and sold over 30 million copies, one of the best-selling books of all time, that there's so many people that want to find what is their purpose in life? What is their meaning? What is their significance? We don't just want to feel like we get to the end of our life and nothing changed, nothing happened. We didn't have meaning to someone or to something. And so we want to make a difference. And so we want to dream big dreams. My, I used to dream big dreams. I wanted to be an astronaut when I was younger and get up into space and explore the the universe and go where no man has gone before. And then I wanted to be a geneticist because I thought, man, I'm going to be the one to find out how to change our genes and make superheroes real. So (laughs) we'll do that. My son dreamt big dreams. It's actually my son's birthday. Today he's turning 11 years old. I'm really excited about that. Uh, Mateo. And uh, yeah, very cool. Um, But we, when he was about four or five, we were sitting in this worship center at Life Center, and it was a weekday, so there was nobody there, and we were just talking, him and me, it was just basically him and me at the the worship center at Life Center, it's a big, big worship center, and out of nowhere, he says, Dad, I want to be a pastor someday. And I was like, yes, yes, he's already got direction in his life and thinking of all the great ways we can co-pastor together and he'll do some amazing things. And then a little bit later, he thinks and he says, or (laughs) Spider-Man. And so I'm thinking, man, oh, well, there there goes that one. But, but, you know, we all can dream, we all want to dream big dreams, whether whether true or imaginary, whether true or, or false, we, we want to dream big dreams because we all want purpose in our life. We all want to be world changers ourselves. We want to have that meaning in our life. And so I want to speak to some people this morning who have believed big in their life. Or maybe they've even never dared to believe big. But somewhere along the way, we gave up. We stopped dreaming 
big dreams. We stop believing big things, and we begin to settle in, in our, into our lives, into the regular monotonous, and the monotonous became mediocrity. And so I want to speak to some people who've kind of given up, and I think there's no person that's better to speak to than this about than Moses. So we're going to look at the story of Moses today, and in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, it reads, One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement through the bush. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. You see, the, the weed was smoking, and then he saw that it wasn't burning up, so he thought he was smoking weed at that point. <laughs> Why isn't this bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses. Now, whenever God repeats something twice, Abraham, Abraham, Moses, Moses, he's, it's the language of covenant. So God is calling to make a covenant with Moses. So he says, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. The title of my message today is Breaking Invisible Barriers. Breaking Invisible Barriers. I need you to take this by faith. I'll explain it as we go in. But uh, we look at the, we're looking at the story of Moses. And Moses kind of ends up here taking care of the flocks in Midian, which is kind of far out there. It's, it's kind of like in the rural country. And this is not how Moses started, though. And back in Egypt, when Moses was just being born... The Egyptians saw all the Hebrews, and they saw them overpopulating Egypt, and so they wanted to kill all the babies. And Moses' mother wanted to save him, so she put him in this basket and floated him down the river. And Pharaoh's daughter, Pharaoh is the king of Egypt, the most powerful man in the world at the time, and Pharaoh's daughter sees him and basically adopts him and takes him into into her home. And so Moses grows up in the palace. He grows up in wealth. He grows up in power, and that's all he's known. But he still knew he was a Jew because his own biological mother actually took care of him and was his nurse. And so he grew up knowing that he was, he was a Jew. He's walking along one day and when he's a little bit older, when he's a young man. And you actually think he was 40. So 40 is a young man. I'm almost 40. 40 is still young. Uh, <laughs> um, but he's walking along one day and he sees uh, an Egyptian beating a, a Hebrew. And he gets so angry because he sees this happening. And so he, he beats up the Egyptian. And the Egyptian actually gets beaten so bad that the Egyptian dies. And Moses feels shame. He feels guilt. And so he tries to hide it, which is what a lot of us do when we've sinned and we've made a mistake. And so we try, he tries to hide it. We try to hide it. So he hides the body away, buries it in the sand. And while he's there, he, he gets up and goes away. And the next day or a couple days after that, he, he's walking, and then he sees a Hebrew beating up another Hebrew. And he, gets, he says, you guys are brothers. Why, why are you, why are you beating, beating him up? And the Hebrew says, were well, you going to kill me like you did that Egyptian? And so Moses knows he's found out, and he knows Pharaoh could kill him. And so shame and fear 
grips Moses, and Moses runs off. And he runs away, and Pharaoh does try to kill him, but Moses gets away. And he goes, and he flees out to Midian. And in Midian, he, he takes a wife, he builds a family, and he begins to become a shepherd. And so that's what he's doing, and that's his daily routine. He's a shepherd now. He's no longer in the palace. He's no longer in power. He's now just your average guy, your Joe Schmo. He's just doing the daily routine of life. And so it's wake up, you know, bring the flock out to pasture to, to eat and bring them out to water to drink. And sheep and goats, were, which were the animals that were, would have been a part of his flock, are, are stupid animals. And so they're going to wander off. And to protect him, he'd have to pull them back or he'd have to protect them from wolves and other things that might have been around there. And so that was his day. And shepherds, they spent a lot of time with the sheep and the goats because, like I said, they were stupid animals. They would get in trouble a lot. And so spend a lot of time with them and then go home. And once you put them in their pen and spend some time with family and then go to sleep and do it all over again the next day. And for 40 years, this is Moses' daily routine. He's just there. And I think we can kind of get into the routine of life when we start to think that, you know, we, when we start to think that uh, this is all we have. This is all that life has for us. And so Moses is becoming comfortable in his complacency, comfortable in his routine. And, and as he's going, he's living, and he's faithfully, and there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you're called to. Some of us are called to just daily living, going through the monotonous routine of life. And that's, that's fine. But God wants to break in to Moses' life. And he wants to call him to something greater. Because he has a greater thing on, on his life. When Jesus called you, he called you because he, want, he saw something in you that he wanted you to do greater things. That's what God wanted to do in you and through you. He called you for a purpose. He called you because he wanted you to be on mission. And so God wants to come to Moses to help him to be on mission, to help him to see that there's a greater purpose for his life. And so Moses comes and he goes before this, this burning bush and God's speaking to him to his bush. Moses, take off your sandals. This is holy ground. You're now encountering the God of the universe, the creator of all things. And so Moses is out there in front of God and he's afraid. And God says, um, I've seen the suffering of my people in, in, in Egypt, the Hebrew people. And I want to send you to Pharaoh. Pharaoh, whoa, let my people go, right? The church people got that joke. Uh, but so he goes to, he, go, he said, go to Pharaoh. Go to the most powerful guy in the, in, the, in the world at the time and tell him to let my people go. Let all of his workforce, all of the people that he makes all these different things for him, let him go, right? And so Moses is thinking, who am I? That was Moses' response. Who am I? And I think that's a lot of times that's our response. Because here's Moses in Midian, kind of out in the middle of nowhere, far off from Egypt, from the power of, 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 of the world. And he's, he's thinking, I'm nobody. How, how, who am I? And Moses, through the 40 years that he's living in Midian, he must have had that inner critic inside his head, thinking, that's saying, Moses, what you did was unforgivable. Moses, you killed a guy. God could never use you. 
Moses, you, look at all the shame. You were one of my people, one of the people of God, one of the Jews. And, and here you are living off in Midian, ignoring your people. Moses, you're not even worth anything. Moses, God can't use you. And there's this inner critic replaying in his mind over and over and over. And I think that's what all of us face is that inner critic in our heads playing over and over and over that we can't do it. My wife and I, a couple weeks ago, were running around our neighborhood, which was in itself a miracle that I was running. And uh, so we're running around, and our, our, our neighborhood's about a third of a mile. So run around. We were going to go 10 times, so about a 5K, three miles or so. And I'm getting towards the end of running, and my stomach hurt a little bit and wasn't feeling super great. And this voice started playing in my head, Josh, just give up, just don't keep running. Just go home. You're not feeling well. Just throw in the towel. Give up. And I would venture to say that I'm not the only one in here that has that inner critic inside his head. Uh, that, there, that a lot of us deal with that. That the voice in our head saying, you're not good enough. You're, you can't do it. Um, you're never going to be able to amount to anything in your life. And so we all have that inner critic inside our, our head that stops us from, from doing things that God has called us to do, from living the greater things of God in our lives. There was a, a man that I was a chaplain at Harborview, and I saw this man. Harborview is this uh, Harborview Medical Center. It serves uh, Montana, Idaho, and Alaska, and of course, Washington, and all the, the worst cases, the most traumatic cases go to this hospital, and I was a chaplain in the emergency room. And I was walking through the hall one day, and I saw this guy sitting on a stretcher and just got to talking with him, you know, what's going on in your life? What's, what's happening? Why are you here? And he was there because of a heroin overdose. And so I was like, wow, what, you know. So as we got to talking, he began to tell me his story. And he was just an average guy, kind of leading the mediocre life, the monotonous life. And as he was there, he just wanted something more. And so he got into partying and started getting more and more into the partying lifestyle until he he got drunk. And one night when he was drunk, somebody offered him heroin. And he he took the heroin because he was too drunk to say no. And immediately he was hooked and living his life on drugs, constantly on drugs. And one time he was driving while under the influence, got pulled over and the cops found heroin in his car, found that he was on heroin, and he was arrested. Now, when he, when he was put in jail, they put him on methadone, which is a treatment to help him taper off the heroin, to be free of the addiction. And while he was there, he, because his senses were numbed by the, by the heroin, so he began to, to feel again. He began to, to just enjoy a sunset in the morning, or in the, at night, or a sunrise in the morning. He began to enjoy a meal. He began to just enjoy the cool of the day and enjoy a conversation. The basic things that he, he couldn't sense because his senses were numbed from the heroin. And he said something to me that I'll never forget. He said, even though I was physically in prison, physically in jail, I was one of, felt one of the most free times ever in my life. You see, there's invisible bars around each and every one of us. And this guy had invisible bars before he was ever physically in jail. And when he got out of a physical jail, he actually turned back to the heroin. Why? Because he had never left his invisible bars. 
See, we all have invisible bars around us. People are attending physical bars. And I don't mean the ones where there's alcohol and drinking. I mean just like, like a jail cell, there's invisible bars around us. It could be bars of depression. It could be bars of doubt. It could be bars of shame and guilt. It could be lars, bars of, of anger. It could be bars of, of lust. There is bars around people. As I was saying, my wife and I, when we'd go around the neighborhood, I would see people come home, go in through the garage, and go and turn on the TV. And they're watching TV the rest of the night. And they're facing bars of isolation in their life. But the bars where they're by themselves. Other people are, are facing bars of, of guilt and anger. Maybe you're facing bars of, of fear in your life. And fear is holding you back from being the thing, being the person that God has called you to be. There's all bars that we're facing. Christians face bars. Christians are, 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 have a, a lot of times the same divorce rate or, or even or just a little bit less than the rest of society. Christians are using the same amount of pornography as a lot of the rest of society. Christians are facing bars. In their life, these invisible bars, and we can put a smile on our face when we come to church, but the reality is that most of us have invisible bars around us that are keeping us from God and from the people around us that can help free us into a greater life, into doing the greater things that God would call us into. And we've got to break these invisible bars because so many Christians, I'm meeting Christians who are dissatisfied, who are not content with the kind of Christian they've become or the version of, of, the, of the Christian life they're experiencing. And in the midst of that, they're, they're, they're complacent against some of these bars. But there's a danger in this complacency. You see, most of these Christians that I'm meeting that are dissatisfied with, with the version of the Christian life they're experiencing, they're not bad people. They're not gangbangers. They're not ungodly pagans. If they were, it would make more sense why they're discontent. You see, the danger they're facing is not ruining their lives. The danger they're facing is wasting them. That's the imminent danger that a lot of us are facing, is wasting our lives. And there's a price to pay because of that. Our hearts start shriveling when we're living in this complacency. They may already be shriveled. Um, our dreams might start dying. They're already, some of us, they're already on life support. And ultimately, we can get to the end of our life, and all we'll see is a stack of regrets facing back at us. But that's not the kind of life that God has called us to live. See, most Christians are content to survive the world, but God has called us to overcome it. And that's what God wants us to be, is as world changers. You see, I don't want to read the Bible as a history book of the great things God did in the lives of people in the past. I want to read the Bible as a guidebook to what God wants to do in my life, as a guidebook to what God wants to do in and through this church, that we would be a church that would get out and we would be a world-changing church, that we would begin to make a difference. And so God responds to Moses's. Who am I with I am? See, God named himself forever. I am who I am. I, or, or another translation, I will be who I will be. Moses was, was saying, who am I? Uh, in other words, I am not. But God was saying, I am. See, when you're facing a situation where 
You're saying it's, it's overwhelming and, and you're afraid and you're saying, I am not courageous. God says, I am. When you're, when you're facing a, a chaotic situation where you're saying, I am not peaceful, God is saying, I am. When you're lonely and you say, there's no love, God says, I am. When you're hurting and you say, there's no help, God says, I am. So, so watch this. God's I am is greater than any of your I am not. So in the midst of your situation, God will say, I am whatever you need, whatever help, whatever courage, whatever uh, love, whatever thing, thing you are placing, because God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in times of need, and he is our I am to whatever you are I am not. <laughs> Write that one down. <laughs> what if we lived, but what if we lived like we had a personal God that was with us? He is Emmanuel, God with us. We're not living by ourselves. We're not living by our own power. We have a God that is around us, that loves us, and is with us. What if we lived our life believing that I am not walking, I'm not taking these steps by myself, but I'm taking these steps because I have a God that is God with us. What if we lived like we had a personal God with us? But Moses goes on and he, he makes more excuses. And he, he, he says, but what if these other people don't believe me? And so God gives him a staff, kind of like a Harry Potter wand. And he says, throw your staff on the ground. And the staff becomes a snake. And Moses is like, ah, snake, I'm out. And so he wants to run away. But God says, pick up the snake by the end of the tail. And he picks it up and it turns back into a staff. And then God gives him some other cool powers like making his hand leprous, which is like a skin disease, and like turning water into blood. Okay, those aren't really cool powers, but, um, but what, like, what if God still gave out powers? I think that'd be pretty cool. I'd like to like fly for Jesus or something, you know, become a superhero like I'd wanted to when I was younger. But um, so he gives him these powers. But Moses is, is worried about what other people are going to think. If I go tell them, are they going to believe me? Are they going to be with me? And I think so often that's another thing that stops us from living the greater things of God. That we're worried about what are other people going to say. This last week, uh, we were, my wife and I were dealing with this insurance situation where she was backing up and another person was backing up and they kind of hit each other. And we got a letter stating that it was totally our fault, which it totally was not. So pray for me. Um, but I let, that, I let that distract me this week. I let that sideline me. And, and so I didn't focus on the talk because I was, I was just focused on, oh, what are these people going to say? What are these people? I've got to do what's right. I've got to follow, follow this, and I've got to do it. Not focusing on God. Not focusing on what God wanted to do in the situation. Not seeing that there's a greater God that is for me and is with me in this situation. But I think so often we're, we're trying to, to say, oh, well, if they would just approve of me, if they would just accept me. You ever seen the, the show The Voice? The, they have these, these chairs that are turned backward, and people are singing. And if they like the person singing, then they'll push a button, and the chair will turn around, and they'll give their approval and want this person to be on their team. And so much of our life is auditioning for other people's acceptance. 
were constantly auditioning for their acceptance. If they would just accept me, if they would just be with me, if they would just believe me. But truth be told, the audition is not real. People don't have a button to push for you. uh, And so I heard God say to me, the audition has been canceled. The audition has been canceled because I already have the approval I need. I already have the acceptance. I already have the power for God's purpose in my life. Now all I need to do is just do it. Just walk, just take that step of faith, believing that I have a God that is with me, that will help me, give me the power I need, but I'll find the power in the pursuit. I'll find the power in the pursuit. See, the thing about God is, That God doesn't show you everything or give you everything you need, at least in terms of what you think. God doesn't send down a supply list and say, okay, here's all the things you're going to need, and here's all the things I'm going to give you, and and you just do this. But what God does is he, he lights the path one step at a time in front of you. And as you walk, he says, I'll give you what you need. As you keep taking steps of faith, God gives you what you need. And, and Moses is sitting here not wanting to do that. And he, he says to God, oh, God, I, I, I don't have the speech. I can't speak to these people good. I'm not speaking good, you know, which is not good English in itself. Um, but, uh, but he says, I can't speak good. And God's response to him, I think, is so telling. It says, God says, who gave you a mouth? Who gave you the ability to speak? Am I not sending you? In other words, God is there. God is with him, but, but he's trying to break down Moses' excuses and, and ways that he wants to stop. You see, often the first thing that we need to be, be, be free, set free of is our insecurity. Uh, our insecurity starts with I, and I think that's really appropriate because insecurity really is just focusing on ourselves. What's my power? What am I able to do? What, what am I able to not do? That's, that's our insecurity. But instead of being self-focused or I-focused, can we be more God-focused? To say, can I focus on what God can do, what, what he has the power to do, and stop focusing just on what my power is in this situation? You know, so Moses keeps offering these excuses why he can't do, do things. And um, I feel like God was, is like a, like a mom or a, or a dad. Like, like I didn't ask you all that. Stop. I didn't ask you all that. Yeah, you, you, you're trying to start it, but guess what? I'm going to finish it. My wife sometimes yells at our kids, pray for her, um, <laughs> that, uh, that she's, she's saying, um, I start it. I, so I see her say, I, I, didn't, I don't care who started it. I'm going to finish it, right? And so a little marriage advice if your wife or if your husband is doing that, just let him take care of it. Don't step in the way. It doesn't help. And so... So I've learned, I've learned. And that's what God is saying. Moses, I didn't ask you all that. I just asked you to do something, to take a step of faith and to believe me that I can do something great for you, God, that I can do something great. But Moses is, is, is insecure, and, and often the first thing that we need to be set free from is ourselves. If you repeat this back to me, I need to be set free from me, from me. Oftentimes, that's the first challenge we face is that I just need to be set free from me because oftentimes we are our own worst enemies. The enemy is in a me, right? The enemy is in a me. And so, 
Uh, oftentimes I prayed that the situation would change, and the situation changes, but I didn't change. And I took the same spirit into a different situation. And oftentimes that's where we see we, people don't make it because they take the same spirit into a different situation. They're praying the situation would change, but the spirit didn't change, and so they end up right back where they were. And I've seen it so many times. The thing that people need is they need purpose. They need hope. There was a Nazi camp, and uh, there were some Jews, and they asked the Jews to move this mountain of, of garbage from one, one place to another place. And the first day, they, they did fine because they felt like there was a purpose. Maybe there's a purpose for us moving this trash from one end of, of the area of this field to the other. But the next day, the Nazis had to move this mountain of trash back to the same spot. And each day following, it came the same thing. They kept moving the trash from one place to the other. After a while, after several weeks, they started going crazy, and they started committing suicide because they didn't have any hope or purpose in their life. You see, purpose is like the air we breathe. We need purpose. We need hope. We need a chance that there is a meaning to our lives. Without that, people will die. Your soul will die. So we need to help people learn that there is a greater purpose. There is a greater hope for their life. We need people to see Jesus because if we don't help them see Jesus, we'll enable them in their sin rather than empower them in their spirit. We've got to empower people in their spirit to know that there is something greater. There's a greater hope. People are praying for a situation to change, but what often needs to happen is a spirit needs to change. In Proverbs 4.23, it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And I would say our heart is like our spirit. Everything we do flows from it. We've got to have some hope. We've got to have some love in our life. Those are just as important as the food we eat. That we would have these things because our soul needs to eat. Oftentimes our soul is starving for these things in our life. And so this is where Moses is. Moses, but Moses starts taking a step of faith. And he goes to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, whoa, let my people go. And he gets out there, and Pharaoh doesn't listen, and so God sends some plagues. And as, as Moses is walking, Moses is beginning to see that God is trustworthy, that God can do some amazing things. And so Moses begins to trust people more. And, and, and then, then he reads to the point, leads to the point where Moses is about to lead these people across the Red Sea. But he, he's at the Red Sea, and Pharaoh, after these ten plagues, you guys have seen the movie, it's with Charlton Heston, go see the movie. Uh, <laughs> um, they're probably making a new one, I, I bet, sometime. But, um, but yeah, so you can see that. So that there's the ten plagues, and, and Moses is there, and then um, they're at the Red Sea, and Pharaoh realizes that he let all of his workforce go, so he gets all of his chariots, and he's going to go after, and he's going to smite them. He's going to kill these Jews. And the Jews are, are there, and they're, they're, they're at the Red Sea, and they're kind of thinking, how are we going to get across? And now, then they see the chariots coming up behind them, and this is where we'll pick up the story again. In um, Exodus 4, verse 10, as Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? 
Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. See, this is a different Moses than the Moses we saw before. This is a Moses who can trust God in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the fight, and tell others now, just stay calm, and God himself will fight for you. See, God will use your situation to set someone else free. When you become free, then you can begin to say, it really works. Faith really works. I'm a living testimony that God can really set people free. And when we start, see the, the world changer, the first world we need to change is your own. It's your world. You need to be a world changer to your own world. God can use broken people, but he also wants to see people set free. He wants to see souls lifted up and set free from depression and doubt and despair and all of these things that will hold us back from fear and lust and anger. God wants to set souls free because he knows that when you are on the land of freedom, in a spiritual freedom, that you can see freedom better for other people. God wants to set you free. And he wants you to be able to be set free so you can set others free. So you can see generational curses broken. So you can begin to see people rise up out of, out of the ashes and be build an army of people that we can come together as a church and begin to see this world changed. You pray with me. God, thank you for this message. Thank you for this talk. Thank you for calling us to a world-changing faith. What you want, God, is not from us, but for us. You want us to experience your purpose and your hope in our lives, that we might be set free to set others free, that we might be free to see others free. God, thank you, Lord, that you are a God that is with us, and that we don't walk alone, but we walk with you, God, and that we don't do greater things by ourselves, but we do greater things in Christ and with his community, God. But we pray, God, that you would help us to have faith, to be able to say to this mountain, move, and it shall be moved. Because the faith is ours, but the power is yours. And so help us to connect with you, God, and to connect with each other, that we might see a world-changing faith, not just in, in the, in the, on the walls, but in the halls, in what we see and what we actually do.